Hi, this is Pastor Keith Joseph coming to you from First Baptist Church of Jackson, Georgia. Welcome to our weekly broadcast. We hope it speaks to you where you are in life. To learn more about our ministries, check us out at jacksonfbc.com. Now listen to me, there, there are two verses in the scripture that I'm going to point you to right now in this moment that I believe out of, out of all the scriptures in the Bible that these probably are the most significant two verses in all of the Word of God. Now I want you to, you to look at them with me, Romans 1 and 16, here's what the Bible says. The Bible says, for I, this is Paul, not ashamed, that word means offended, I'm not ashamed of the, what? gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, that's God's chosen people, and also to the Greek. Now that simply means in that day, most of the Gentiles were Greek speaking, so that's why he used that. He said, so in other words, to everyone, the gospel is powerful. Now watch this, for in it, The righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. I want you to look at those little words in in verse 17, for in it. The Apostle Paul puts forth the premise that the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in it is the answer for our mess. That the gospel, now listen to this, clearly explained and clearly believed is powerful. Clearly explained and clearly believed is powerful. So powerful, Tim Keller says in his commentary, the gospel, it's your first fill in the blank, has the ability to completely change minds. This is what it does. It has the ability to completely change minds, hearts, now listen to this, lives, orientation, our understanding of everything that happens, and even the very way people relate to one another. I have discovered in this journey That if a person individually, genuinely is saved by the power of the gospel, that they are radically different. I've discovered that a home becomes radically different. I've discovered that a church becomes radically different. I've discovered that a city can become radically different, and a county, and a state, and a nation, and a world can become radically different if we go on the search and let the gospel change us. And can I tell you that after nine months of digging through eight chapters of the book of Romans, nine months. I'm here today to tell you this, that more than ever in my life that I believe this, that in it the gospel is the answer for the mess of everything in this world. Now I want to ask you to do something today. I want to ask you online to do it. I want to ask you in the house to take a journey with me. I am not the authority on the journey. I want you to take a journey with me that we would study together in the next 13 weeks through the first four chapters, and we'll break at Christmas, and we'll come back in January and walk through the first eight chapters of Genesis, excuse me, of Romans together, and we are going to discover in our search that in the gospel itself is something that changes us first. And once it really changes us, it grips us, and then it helps us to be mobilized to change the community around us. Now, I want you to hear this, and I mean this with the greatest of respect to you. If you're saying, I'm going to do this when I get to church on Sunday, that won't work. If all you're going to do is watch us online, if all you're going to do is to come to church when you want to come to church, listen to me, that's not being all in. 
I said to you six months ago that we'd be radically different in six months, and Betty found that sermon and put it online for us this week, and we are. I want to say six months from now, this church will not be able to hold the gospel reach people if you and I take this journey together. But if you choose not to take the journey together, if you choose to continue just like you have been up until this very moment, I want to say this to you, the gospel will may save you, but it won't lead you to a life of surrender that you touch the world. And so what I want to do today is to share with you not my authority, but I want to speak to you from the authority of a man who had all the answers. My daddy always would tell me, he said, now, Keith, if you want to know the, something about something, find somebody who really knows the answers, not say that they know the answers. So I want you to look with me in Romans chapter 1 and verse 1. As we're talking about today, the man with all the answers, and I'm telling you, power is about to be released. For somebody who preaches it correctly and believes it correctly, it will change everything. Here's what it says, verse 1, Paul a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Now, now look down with me in verse 7, if you would. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 8, first I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. Now, why does he thank God for them? Because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Paul said, I've always wanted to come to your church. Why? Because something was going on in the city of Rome. Here's the deal. Paul had heard about Rome because, listen to me, on the day of Pentecost, when the the gospel was preached, part of those 3,000 people would be God's ambassadors to go all the way to Rome. Those Jewish believers, Brother Henry, would go to Rome, they would establish a church, and the church would explode. Here's how it was exploding. Jews were reaching Gentiles. For a period of time, Nero began to persecute just Jewish people. And then, during that time, the the Gentiles would become major in the leadership of the church at Rome. But then after that, for a short period of time, they would be released from the persecution. So they would come back. So you got this interesting dynamic at work. But Paul says, I'm writing to you. He was actually, according to chapter 15 and verse 26, he was in the city of Corinth. He was on his third missionary journey, and he was gathering an offering for the churches in Jerusalem. And while there, God gave him this word. And it was a word that I believe with all my heart has changed more lives than any other book in the Bible. It has done more not only to change them, but to set their course for life. And by the way, some would say it is the hardest book other than Revelation in all the Bible. Look up this way. You're right. And here's why it's hard. It's not for the faint of heart. It's not for those who want to swim in the shallow end. It's not for those who who have just a no-so kind of so-so faith. It's somebody that that says, I want to be changed. And so so Paul, now watch this. when When the epistle begins here of Romans, he just simply says, Paul. Now, now when, when I email somebody, I don't just say to Gary Webb Jr., I don't just say, Keith, that's enough. No, I, I will say, this is what I'm about, this is what I'm doing. But now watch, Paul had the authority in the church because something had happened to Paul. Three things I want you to think about this. Number one, Paul, Paul was accepted because of his resume before God. His resume before God, something about him caused people to look at him and said, we accept that you're the one writing to us. Now think about this. Before Paul came to know Christ, Paul's name was, yeah, you know what Saul means? King 
all of Israel, if they had a child that had great potential, guess what they'd name him? Saul, after King Saul, before his failure. And so here he was, his name was Saul King, large, big, his name means. But then when he met Jesus, he changed his name to Paul. Paul means small. Now, how could a person go from being a king to being small and impact the world? John MacArthur said this, that by the time that the last apostle died, there are almost a million believers in the world. And listen to this, and most of them had been reached by Paul. How could one man, how could one man travel all that distance and and reach all that people? Well, something must have happened. Well, let's look at his resume. Number one, he had been converted, write it down to Christ on the road to Damascus. Something had happened to Paul in Acts chapter 9. He saw the light. He realized that he was a sinner. Have you ever realized you're a sinner yet? The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12 that Paul was a persecutor, an insolent man, a hater of the church. But the Bible said in verse 13 of 1 Timothy 1 that he found mercy. And God had set him apart and chosen him. And Paul said, I want you to know, Timothy, I'm the chief of the sinners. Why would you listen to a man that was the chief of the sinners? Here's why. Because his life had been changed. He had been born again. Philippians 3 says this, verse 7, Whatever I gained, I had, I counted as loss for knowing Christ. Something had happened to him. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. What kind of gospel is it that a man would give up his degrees and follow the Lord? What, what, kind of, what kind of God is it that a man would lose his position and follow the Lord? What kind of man was it that, 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 that Paul would run into that would show him the light, that when Paul would write to a church, that he would simply say, my name is Paul. He was a converted man, but secondly, now this is amazing to me, Paul became a slave for Christ for the rest of his life. He said, Paul, now watch what the text says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. Now, in this volatile uh, world that we live in, in this violent world we live in right now, divided world that we live in, to use the word that is actually there is divisive. Do you know that word here? Paul simply says it's Paul, a lifelong slave of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you, do you consider yourself a slave? Some others here may, but that may be in the wrong way. This week, I, I challenged our staff in devotion time. We're, we're walking through parts of this uh, so they'd be prepared for Sunday. And, and I asked them the question, define a slave. And, and, and one person said, is a, is a genuine follower of Christ. Another person said this, it is the unfair treatment endured by somebody against their will. Do you understand in Rome that two-thirds of the citizens of Rome of around the world were slaves? And slavery in that respect is wrong. Our history in America, it is dead wrong that we would be for slavery. It was dead wrong when First Baptist Church had slaves on the roll in the early 1800s and did nothing about it. It was wrong, but we repented. It is wrong today to do sex trafficking anybody to make them as a slave against their will. But when Paul uses the word, it is so radical to me that that over a year later from reading it, I still can't get over it. I'm still not impacted enough by it. What is it that would cause a man to say, for the rest of my life, I give up my freedom to make any decision? I have met very few people in America who have given up their freedom. 
Listen to me. In a Baptist church, that is taboo to even mention slavery for Christ. Because, listen, you feel that your opinion ought to be given in everything. And your thoughts ought to be given in everything. That's not what a slave does. Jesus said a slave will work for his master all day long and he'll come in and he will not sit down and say, provide me a meal. He'll come in from being tired. He'll provide the meal because that's his responsibility. And friend, today I want you to know this, that God is calling us to have in the resume of our life, God, I am willing to slave my life for you. Francis Chan puts it this way in his wonderful book. I gave the quote to you in, in, in your notes. Here's, here's what he says in his book, Letters to the Church, and I quote, It's no secret that most people who attend church services come as consumers. No amen there. We come as consumers rather than servants. God intends for the church to resemble His Son, not society. See, here's the thing. We have raised our children in a consumer environment, and we've aided to it. You say, oh, no, no, no. Listen, I've discovered in my research that consumer churches will grow. You say, how do you know that? Because I'll pay for what I, what I like to consume. Some of you right now, if you went and budgeted, you'd realize all the times you ate out in a restaurant. Why? You're a consumer. Some of you, Amazon visits you more than the Holy Spirit visits you. Because you are a consumer. Others of you, it is something else in your life that, that visits you. Now listen, churches grow that are consumer because people will give to something that they consume. Now watch this. They'll, they'll give to a church that puts on a, puts on a worship service with, with professional people up there because it, they, they believe in a consumer man. They'll give to, to a church where the, for one hour their kid can be played with so they can be left alone so they can go into their worship one hour, missing their whole duty as a courageous parent. They'll give to that. And all will they give to a sermon where a guy entertains and makes them feel good at the end of the day. They'll give to that. That is the consumer world. And the church is going down the tubes and sending people straight to hell by baptizing them into a consumer kingdom and not into Christ's kingdom. Now that's not every church. That's not every mega church. There are churches that are doing the work of God. There are many churches that are right where that they need to be and are growing the gospel. But let me tell you, I came here to fight a consumer mentality of a community that said the only way we're going to come around you is if you give us what we want. And we've turned the tide in the building, but now we've got to turn the tide in the community. And Paul said, I want to tell you, church, I am a slave of Jesus. Now, what does that mean? Paul also, in his resume, he had a specific assignment from God. The Bible said that he was an apostle. That meant that, that God had set him aside to lead the New Testament church. So, so let me ask you this question. What is the assignment that God has given First Baptist Church of Jackson, Georgia? It is our call to care for the soul of this city. When I didn't, uh, I missed Jeanette Weaver's funeral on Friday. I turned it in the middle of it to say about that woman, she loved this community. She couldn't understand why anybody would leave this community. She wanted everybody in this community to come and know Jesus Christ. And God called me to this community because of the fact that we are to go to all the world and reach the world. But friend, we've got to reach people right here. And I listen to me. You say every week I want to do that, but you're too busy to do that. If you just invite your friend, your best friend, and plead with them and take them to lunch, they'd come. 
If you spend a little bit more time, listen to me, in your heart, and you're to be centered in the gospel of the Lord Jesus, I promise you, young couples in this room, and they'll be in the second service, if you would just get over the self-mentality and surrender to God and to realize those kids are your greatest mission field and they're your greatest opportunity. When Sharon and I were that age, we would have our kids and we would take them to the park. We played t-ball, and while they were on the field playing, I was witnessing on the sideline. The next thing you know, our nursery was full of people. Not that I was a preacher that I would reach, but as a parent, they're knowing that our kids have been given to us in the gospel. You ought to be amen in this. You ought to be not saying, oh, woe is me. You have been given a specific assignment for God in this city. It is our day. And as the older ones have died and are dying in their church, they're dying handing us the baton. And young man in this room, it's your time to step up, to get off the sideline. It's your time, young lady. It's your time to, to be all in. Don't worry about what the past was. Worry about the moment now. No matter your age, God will raise you up, but you've got to become a slave. That was his resume. But second, there was his relationship. This man had a relationship with God. Here's what he said in verse 2, which God pr promised beforehand that through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh. Now, now think about Paul here in this moment. Paul had write it down, had been set apart to be saved and to serve. In Romans 3, he'll say it like this in verse 21, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Listen to this, although the law and the prophets bear witness, the righteousness of God, listen to this, through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Now let me ask you this, do you have a relationship? Now I did not say that you have a baptismal certificate. I did not say that you are a deacon, a former deacon. I did not say that you're a pastor or that you are a worker. I know I, none of that gets you to heaven. Do you have a relationship? I, 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 Brother Tony, I came to realize this. Write this down, folks. Jesus became real to Paul. You didn't get that. You know, uh, Kim Dodson uh, uh, cuts my hair, and she does a miracle with what she's got to work with me. But I could say to Kim every week, I believe in you. I think you do a good job. I praise God for you. I'm coming to see you. But then you come to, I come to church and my hair's all the way down to my backside. What would that mean? That means that I don't have a real relationship with her. But can I tell you, as you look at me this morning, as the gray hair falls off, she, I have a relationship with her. Here's the thing. When you have a real relationship with Jesus, the hair of your old life falls off. Is it? When people look at you, what do they say about your relationships? Maybe you're a secret alcoholic in this room. Maybe you're a secret that person that you covet in this room. Maybe you are secret in something else, in a pornography. Maybe there's something secret in your life. Listen, Paul says when you slave for Jesus and come to know him, everything begins to change. He identifies here who Jesus is. He says he is the Son of God. And I want to tell you, he is the Son of God who was sent by the Father to be on mission in this world to fix our mess. Here he calls him the son of David, which means this, he's fully man. If you look back through the history of Jesus, you see all the way back to Adam. Now watch this, when Jesus came into the world, he came into a world that was a mess, he overcame it. 
He came into a family that was a mess that would not even believe in him except his mother and father. He overcame him. He went to the cross. He overcame it. He went into the grave. He overcame. He was resurrected, overcame this world, went back to the the Father in heaven. So listen to me. I'm not asking you into a relationship that's going to burden you. I'm inviting you to a relationship that will bless you. There's nothing like serving the Lord Jesus. There's nothing like being a slave of Jesus because now I'm no longer in charge. I go where he wants me to go. I do what he wants me to do. Someone was, uh, was asking me to, would I consider being a candidate for a pastor at their church? And so, so I, I, I emailed them back. I'm where I'm supposed to be, but I'm a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I'm slaving where I'm supposed to be. And they're like, what does that mean? I knew right then they wouldn't be a church for somebody like us. I was thankful for their kindness to me, but I know where I'm supposed to be, that I am a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ in a relationship with Jesus Christ in a city that is desperate for the Lord Jesus Christ, not to know about Him, but to know Him. And when you begin to know Him, things begin to change in your life. Listen to what it says here in verse 4. He was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead. Now think about this. When Jesus died, he became our redeemer. There's not a person on the face of the earth, no matter how low their family is or how high their family is, that God can't save them. But not only can he save them, he can straighten them. See, most of you have heard this so many times. and You kind of say, I've heard that. Have you preached that six years? I've heard, I've heard that 40 years. Okay, you go on your own way. You, if, you've ever, if you ever have a real relationship, you'll want somebody else to have. When you have a real relationship, when the trials come, you realize that my master has just decided for me that right in this moment of my life, I'm going to go through a trial. And as I go through that trial, Paul, listen to me, as he writes to the Romans, he had been beaten and left for dead three times, kept on slaving. He'd been in the, in the ship, and, and he, he'd been, he was headed toward prison, Brother Henry, even as he was riding. He knew where he was headed to. He knew that it, all that he'd been through and mistreated. But Paul was a slave, and he knew he was going to come out on the other side. Because Christ lives, so shall we. So I want to give you this, this last reason why we ought to take this study together. Here, here's why. Paul was accepted because of his, notice this, his relevance in the world. Now, some people do things that are not relevant. Do you believe that? It would be irrelevant today if that's a word. It would be, it would be without relevance today for me to bring a flannel graph to church when we have all this modern technology. Would that be true? Now, listen to me. In the Webster's Dictionary, the, the word relevance means this, having significant and demonstrable bearing on the matter in hand. Now watch this, demonstrable, listen to this, bearing and significance on the matter at hand. Listen to what Paul says here in verse 5. Through whom we've received a grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among the nations. Can I challenge you today in this house that God wants to bring you to a place where that you are relevant in your ministry? Some of you, uh, your children look at you as if you're not relevant. They ignore what you say. Others of you, it's grandchildren. Others of you, it's your friends. You can sit, you can sit down and drink a cup of coffee and stay, stay at Burger King all day and nobody ever come by and ask you anything. Have you ever wondered why that is? Or have you ever wondered why the people only ask you for something to get something from you? Anybody ever experienced that? The only reason they, need, they speak to you is because they need you for the moment, but when they go home, they don't speak to you. 
They don't say anything really to you. You just kind of go off on your own thing. And some of you are living on the, on the reality of your mind. You really think that because of where you are in a position that you're significant. The truth of the matter is when you retire or when you get sick and can't work anymore, well, you know what they're going to do? They're going to give you a watch maybe. They're going to send you down your way, and they're going to put somebody else right there. Am I telling the truth? Wouldn't you like to be involved in something that whether you're there or not there, they couldn't make it without you? Here's a problem in our city. I wrote about it. Here's the problem in our city. I, I, I want you to hear this for a moment. In our city. In our city, here is the problem. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ, we must be, admit, be honest. And we must admit that most often we have met our, our cities on the battlefield of competition in sports instead of our calling in Christ. We've rubbed shoulders with people in this city only when they ruffle our feathers when we are hindered from a pleasant meal. In other words, we bless them out when they don't do exactly what we want at the meal. We want a quiet evening of resting from our assignments. We malign others for, for listen to, for what we think are their problems when our minds have not been transformed by, by the gospel of Christ. Generations have lived in Jackson and suffered and battled and died lost because people in the church have failed to accept their assignment from God. In our day, the battle is raging almost out of control. And it is. Because there's been zero gospel modeled in the way of people of the church being relevant. Brothers and sisters, something has to change. Now listen to this. I know it's God's good news that will change the world. But does the world of Acts 17 know the gospel? Have they really heard the gospel? I love Tim Keller. The gospel is not advice to be followed. It is good news about what has already been done. And that's where we must be today. And so I'm just going to say that we need to come to, to this fact that, that, that Paul says, I've been humble to carry the gospel to all nations. That's what he says. You can write it on the screen. We've been humble, he says. But not only that, he says, I want to bear fruit. Write it down. I want to bear fruit in the gospel. Don't you want to be relevant? You, ought to be, you say, I don't have kids in the wreck. Still coach. You say, well, I, I don't have kids in the preschool. You ought to still be in the preschool. Surely it was not just about your kids. You say, well, well, you know, I, I, I'm too old to be in politics. Yeah, I'm not asking you to be in politics. I'm asking you to run for office so that you might change the world. You say, well, I, I, I'm not a preacher, so I can't have a devotion at, at, my, at my place of work. I didn't ask you to be a preacher as far as vocation. I've asked you just to be a Christian. You can be relevant. You can be relevant. We just came out of the essential series. In the Holy Spirit, you can be relevant. So I'd encourage you to go home today and take inventory. Are you relevant with your children? Are you relevant with your city? Are you relevant where you were? And I'm not just the earthly thing, but the eternal things. And so, so I'm done. I'm at the end. I'm at the end of this thing today. And I, but I want, to, I want you to think with me about these questions that we've got to give answers to. Number one is this. What do the resumes of our lives say and reveal about us? Just let's just hone it in. What does your resume say about you? Does it say you're converting? Does it say that you are a slave? And does it say you're on assignment? Some in this room can say with all of our heart, that's who I am. But let me ask you this. What is your relationship? What kind of relationship do you have? 
I don't want to put you down. I want to say this. If you just spend 10 more minutes a day with God, if you listen to me, no amount of energy and effort can reach your children apart from prayer. No, no amount of smarts and going to Bible studies will do any better for you than what you're doing right now unless you become a man in morning and evening with God. I want to challenge you. He must become real. And lastly, how relevant are we? We sit here with a building, listen, that God has blessed us with. We're sitting here now getting down, paying the debt so far down. Won't be long, it'll be paid off. God's been good to us. He has been tremendously good. All the work's been going on around it. God's been good to us. But will we now become in these days, ma'am, I speak to you, sir, I speak to you, young person, I speak to you, will you become relevant? Do you want to? I just want to ask you to become relevant with God in this prayer time and the way you proceed out of the sanctuary. If you're not a Christian today, listen, God wants a relationship with you. Everything we've talked about today has been kind of weird for you because you don't have a relationship. I tell you, years ago, I came into a relationship with Jesus, and I, I, simply I understood this. I understood that God had created the world. He created it perfect, but I realized that Adam and Eve walked away from God, and from that moment, every person that was born was born as a sinner, apart from God and in a mess. And I realized Keith Joseph was born that same way. If you're watching online or writing this, I, I had to realize that in my life. And I realized that Jesus left the glory of heaven where there was no mess. No mess. And he came to our mess and to my mess, and he got on the cross that was supposed to be for me. He died, was buried, and rose again. His, his being raised from the dead was proof positive from God the Father. I accept his payment for your sins. And I want to tell you, years ago, I said, God, forgive me of my sin. Come into my life and be Lord of my life. From that day until this day, my life has always been changing because I have learned to become a slave of Jesus. To learn more about our ministries, check us out at jacksonfbc.com.